Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Today we begin a new series in the book of Hebrews. We like to do a a traditional book study a couple times a year because we want to spend time as a church in this book of the Bible. And so we're going to be in this for the next seven weeks, and I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you in your personal times of reading and devotions, I want you to read this book and these uh, verses, these chapters, as many times as you can this month. If you've got the Bible app on your phone, when you're driving to work, when you're working out, when you're walking around the neighborhood, take some time. To, to listen to this book and, and have this book read to you. And if you haven't checked out the Streetlights Bible app yet, go ahead and download that. Uh, it just puts music behind the Bible. And you can also check out the book of Hebrews that way. We want to spend time in this book because this book is a great book. And the theme is simply this. It says that Jesus is better. This book was written to an audience uh, that was being said, hey, you can go all in with Jesus. Uh, the, this church had had an initial conversation. They had come to know their faith, and yet they had gone through some tough things. They were going through some tough things. They were facing persecution. They were seeing loved ones suffer. They were seeing friends walking away from faith. And of course, there were just normal temptations, and there were things that were hard to believe where they'd say, man, the Bible teaches that. Nobody believes that. But some of you are thinking as you hear these things, yeah, that sounds a lot like my life, and to be honest, maybe you're struggling with your faith. Sometimes we come to know Jesus and we think that everything's gonna be perfect after that. We think that there will be peace, love, and prosperity, but the reality is that sometimes we feel like the world is set up to frustrate us spiritually. Sometimes we feel like our temptations are getting more tempting instead of less tempting. Sometimes we feel like it's hard to walk with God or we're in pain and it's hard to be all Jesus-y and spiritual when we're feeling pain, and so we have to feel that our faith is lagging. This book is speaking to us and speaking to this church audience. It's written to teach us this, don't give up. Jesus is better. Christ is better. Whatever you're feeling, whatever is happening to you, you can go all in and you can trust Jesus. And so faith is a major part of this book. Now, I want to let you know this, that this is a difficult book. It's not an easy, light read. In fact, it's been called one of the most difficult books in the Bible, but we know that it was written as scripture. We know that it was trusted by the apostolic community and regarded to be written to the church and entrusted to Christians. And so we want to step into Hebrews 1 and a little part of chapter 2 today and see what God wants to teach us. So let me read this for you. Hebrews chapter one, verse one. You can go ahead and turn there. Pause the video as always if you have to. If you're turning in your Bible, we want you to have your copy of God's word open, taking notes and seeing what God has to teach us. Here's Hebrews chapter one, verse one. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the sun, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, 
He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son, today I've become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now there's just the first five verses of chapter one. We wanna go ahead and take a look at them. Verse one said, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. If you're a student of the Bible, if you're studying the Bible, you know that God has spoken many ways to his people and to the prophets through the Old Testament. If you don't know, let me just show you a couple of ways that God spoke. God spoke in the Old Testament by revealing visions and dreams to people. He delivered messages through angels. Sometimes God spoke in an audible voice that people could hear. There was even an instance where he wrote on a wall. He appeared in burning bushes and inspired worship songs and put messages in the mouths of donkeys. Yes, that really happened. Look it up on Google. He even gave in scripture a book of inspired erotic poetry. And I, we don't have to talk about that today, but my point is God speaks in so many different ways. And yet verse two says this, and now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. The translation of that, there's always something lost when you go from one language to another. And so literally you could translate this better than through his son, in his son. God has spoken to us in his son or in son. The previous prophets had been given the word of God. These believers that were getting this letter knew the Old Testament and they had known what was given to the prophets. But in these final days, in this final hour, We know this, that God set up three primary acts. If this was a play, there'd be three acts. We would have creation in the fall, we would have Israel, and we would have this Jesus era. And so this is going to be helpful, even as we establish this root of of Hebrews. If you're to talk to someone of the Mormon faith or a Muslim faith, they're going to say, yeah, Jesus was great, but the real message came from Joseph Smith, or the real message came through this writing of Muhammad, and this passage right there would be in direct opposition to that. So if they say they support the Bible and also have something with it, those two books of theirs can't go together because we know the last revelation period was Jesus. And in these last days, the church age that we're in, he is the final act. And so you might say, well, what about these apostles? What about these other guys writing in the New Testament? Didn't they write things after Jesus? And the Bible calls them witnesses. The Bible says that they're going to give us knowledge, but they are not prophets. They're not writing anything new. They're just reporting and clarifying the things that Jesus had brought and announced to the world. And so verse two goes on and says that God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And so this writer of Hebrews starts to show us that Jesus is superior to the prophets. It starts to tell us that Jesus is the heir. He starts to say he's the one that everything is coming to. And this is a father preparing his estate for a son. And so everything that God created, everything that God has, everything that God did on earth was all for Jesus. The prophets were pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus was the thing that they were pointing to. He was the point. He was the main event. And this verse goes on and says, and through the son, he created the universe. See, I think sometimes we think of Jesus as a a smart prophet, a guy that would hold a lamb and, and say things that were intelligent. But the reality is that Jesus created all things. Scripture tells us that he was there at creation with God. He created all things and upholds it all by his power. And none of the other prophets did these things. And so wherever you would regard the prophets, Jesus is on another level. There's a magnitude to this. In fact, think of it this way. 
If you were to round it up to a, a number, the the sun is like 93 million miles away from the earth. And if you do the math, it would take a little over uh, like 106 years if you tried to drive to the sun going 100 miles an hour. That's just a small, small sample of the creation and the magnitude and the vastness of what Jesus is holding together and what we have because of him. Jesus created all things and holds together all things. No other prophet, no other person, no other spiritual leader came close to that. I raked some leaves last weekend and thought I was pretty cool holding my household together. Jesus is holding together the Milky Way and galaxies and so many other things. There's a magnitude to what he does. In fact, verse three says this, the sun radiates God's own glory. When you look at our sun, we see radiance. And when we look at Jesus, we're seeing the brightness of God's glory. Verse three goes on to say, and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. In Bible times, kings would often have a, a ring, what was called a signet ring. And when they would sign something into order, when they would make a decree, when they would send something out to their people, they would, they would stamp it with their ring. And that ring often would have almost like a modern day version of a logo, or in some way it would describe them or, or represent them. And we're being told that in the same way, Jesus is showing us exactly who God is and what God is like. Everything that God is and was, Jesus is and was. And so Jesus was a fundamentally different type of message from God. And that's what this church was being told. And that's what we need to be reminded of. Other prophets gave the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Verse four says this. This shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now that's a quote from the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews is looking back. He's taking us to 2 Samuel chapter seven. And here's the thing. Sometimes we look at quotes like this and we think like, all right, that's taking us back to this passage. I guess I should read it. And if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter seven, it's written by David and he's talking about his son Solomon. And so David had decided, you guys know famous David and Goliath kills the, kills the giant with the sling, goes on to become king. He's, he decides as he's king that he wants to build the, the temple for God. God says, no, you can't. David, you've been a part of wars and armies. You have too much blood on your hands. I'm I'm going to save that for your son. He's going to build the temple. And that's what this verse, the writer of Hebrews is quoting, is, is, is looking back to and talking about. So people would say, well, why would a verse about that a guy can't build a temple even apply to Jesus? What's the correlation here? And if you read the rest of 2 Samuel 7, 14, it says, I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. Now, maybe you're thinking, yeah, it's what dads do, but, but if this is God talking about his son, Jesus, maybe you're pumping the brakes a little bit and you're thinking like, whoa, wait, wait, Th that verse said, if he sins, I will discipline him. Jesus can't sin. Well, let me show you something how the, the New Testament writers would have understood the Old Testament. Luke 24 says that Jesus, after his resurrection, walked his disciples through the whole Old Testament and taught them and showed them how all of it Every story in the Old Testament was ultimately about Jesus. Every story was looking forward and pointing forward. And there were direct prophecies about the Messiah, 
But there were also these stories that we know, that we trust, that we love, that were all pointing to ways that Jesus would show up on the scene and fulfill them and be the perfect fulfillment. Solomon was like that in this case. See, David's son, Solomon, was a man who was known for his wisdom, who was known for building this temple. And the reality is he wasn't always great. He was known for kind of being foolish. This guy married 700 women in his temple, ended up being robbed and plundered and and burnt down and torn down. And so David's ultimate son, the man who came in the line of David in his lineage was Jesus. And he was the real temple where God would dwell among his people permanently. And so Solomon gave this dim picture of like, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. And I built this temple where God's people could go for a few years. But the authors would have seen this very thing in every Old Testament story, that there was always this glimmer, this sketch, this picture, this shadow that Jesus would fully accomplish later. Jesus would completely embody. And so Jesus was superior to the prophets because he wasn't just hinting at God. He was always going to be the fulfillment and always going to point to God. These prophets and these spiritual people and these kings, they were the messengers, but Jesus is the message. Jesus is the message. He embodies the message. These guys would give the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. They were servants. They they were doing these things, but Jesus was the heir as this passage teaches. And they told us what the creator wanted, but Jesus was saying, yeah, yeah, that's great. I am the creator. Verse three says, when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And so this is where it gets fun. Not only was Jesus a fundamentally different nature, but the kind of ministry that he had was completely different because all these prophets had given instructions about how to know God. And Jesus, on the other hand, he didn't say, hey, you got to do this. He did things on our behalf. He stepped into the scene and took action. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He made purifications for sin. And then scripture says he sat down. You sit down when there's nothing left to do. And so the Jewish people that would have been the Old Testament audience that would have read this, they were always having to do sacrifices and always having to do things to atone for their sins. You never sit down. You never get to stop. But Jesus was a picture that while their sacrificial system was never complete, because the priest always had to be standing by the altar and ready to go, Jesus offered himself once and for all. He took care of it. He knocked it out. He was the perfect sacrifice for sins. And then he sat down. There was nothing left to do. And so this first chapter is kind of telling us that Christ is superior to the prophets, to the angels, to any spiritual authority, to to, to anyone that claims things. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. Christ is superior for this reason. Prophets and angels gave us the word of God, but Jesus was the word of God. And the very thing that the prophets and spiritual people try to point forward to, Jesus embodied perfectly. Some of you maybe know a famous pastor from New York named Tim Keller. He says it this way, that that everything has always been about Jesus. It's always been about him. Every story in the Bible has always been about Jesus. Jesus is the truer and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now given to us. Jesus was the truer and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was actually sacrificed for us. Jesus is the truer and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so that like Jacob, we could receive only the wounds of grace. 
to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the truer and better Joseph who sits at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed him and uses his new power to save men. Jesus is the truer and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the truer and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes for his stupid friends. And Jesus is the truer and better David whose victory became ours even though we never lifted a stone to help him. He's the true and better Samson who was crushed under the weight of the wicked world to conquer our enemies and save us. He's the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb who's innocent, perfect, helpless, and slain so that the angel of death can pass over us. And he's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. And in the end, the Bible is all about him. The Old Testament is all about him. We know the New Testament is all about him, but I want you to know that Hebrews 1 is telling us it's all about him, and that's how it should be, because Christ is better. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes we read the Bible like it's this collection of hero stories, and we think that it's just telling us, hey, you should try to be like this guy. Follow God like Abraham. Defeat your giants like David. Lead your people like Nehemiah. Dare to be a Daniel. And no, Scripture is more than that. That's well and good, but the reality is we don't want to emulate these people because these people were flawed just like us. See, Moses had a crazy temper. Abraham had a habit of lying in tough situations. David committed adultery, and Nehemiah kind of went crazy at the end of his life. Google that if you want a story later, right? He was pulling out people's beards and ripping their clothes off. There's all kinds of reasons that these prophets and spiritual leaders that we respect are not really people that that we should try to be like. And so we know that Jesus is better because he fully embodied everything. But here's, here's another reason that Jesus is better, because he offers a totally different kind of salvation. We've kind of already talked about this, but most prophets, most, most spiritual people, most books, most belief systems give us instructions about what you have to do, what you have to perform, how you have to be a certain way to find peace with God and Jesus He said it a whole different way. He said, if you want peace with God, you don't have to stand up and say, go and do this. Or you don't have to go and do this, go and do this. Jesus said, it is done. It is finished. When I'm hanging out and trying to be normal, I get invited to a party or something. The topic of conversation always comes up. Hey, what do you do? And I'm not embarrassed of what I do. I love my job. I love Movement Church. I love being a pastor. But I got to be honest, there's moments When people find out you work for a church or you're a pastor, they're kind of like, oh, hey, remember when I just got done telling that joke and I swore, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were a man of the cloth. And they start saying all these awkward things. And this is not about me, but the reality is that sometimes people think this. They they, they always think like, man, I I used to go to church. And the reason I stopped going to church is because they, they couldn't just focus on what we all have in common, that we're all made by God and we all need to love each other and be good and They don't realize it, but what they're talking about is this version of like, hey, you need to obey and then you can be accepted. Then you can earn your salvation. Then you can be good enough for God. And sometimes we think that this obedience is is a way that we can earn God's acceptance. But here's where Jesus changed everything. This is why I'm saying that Jesus offers a completely different kind of salvation because with Jesus, he offers us acceptance from the get-go. He says, my salvation, my acceptance is a gift to you that you don't deserve, but I gave my life for you. 
And because he's given his life for us, when we understand that he's given his life for us, that propels us and pushes us to obedience. He's taken this whole system, this natural thing that we think, oh, I can't go to church because I'm not good enough. And he flipped it on his head and he said, nobody's good enough, but I love you and I gave my life for you. If we think that we have to obey to be saved, then everything that we do after that would be out of fear and out of pride and out of self-interest. But the reality that we need to grasp is that nothing we do is, is good enough for God and yet he still loves us. And so the only way to develop this real love for God is to have fear completely removed. You're afraid you're not good enough? You're not. It doesn't matter though. Nobody's good enough. And yet Jesus is calling us to show real fruit of righteousness and grow in this assurance that he loves us out of grace and out of who he is, out of his character, and we can live for him. And that is enough. So there are two things after we've established this, this thing in, in chapter one that the writer says in, in chapter two, and let's read this, Hebrews chapter two, verse one, he says this. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through the angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord God, Jesus himself? and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. This writer is telling us an important thing. You're wondering, cool, Mark, you you told us about the Old Testament. You connected it to the New Testament. You said it was true and you told us about salvation. What does that mean for me? Well, this is what the writer is telling us, telling that church back then and telling us right now today, write this down. Don't neglect God's final word in Christ. Don't neglect God's final word in Christ. It's so important. God didn't come so that he could give us this threatening judgment. Hey, if you don't pray and invite me in your heart, you're gonna go to hell. He came overflowing with love, overflowing with grace, overflowing with mercy, and he took our judgment on himself. If you won't listen to that and if you wanna walk away from that, I don't know what hope there could be for someone. Jesus came and gave his life for you. They killed him. They put him to death. He was resurrected. And it's one thing to, uh, to knock him off and, and, and shut him up, right? If Jesus had been killed and we never heard from him again, that would, have been, that would have been one thing. But Jesus came back from the dead. And you can ignore him if you want to, but I want you to know that you're ignoring someone who came back from the dead. That goes from kind of not wise to just insanity. Here's the truth. There's a group of people that believe that Jesus was God. And if you're ignoring him, you're not paying attention to him. You don't hate Jesus, but you're just kind of like, yeah, I don't know if that's true. I don't know what it requires of me. I've got a lot of other things going on. And I want to know what you're waiting on. This passage is asking, what are you waiting on? If you know that Jesus was God, and if you know that Jesus gave his life for you, and if you know that he's saying, I've removed your excuses, I've taken away your fear, I'm calling you to live to me, live for me, I'm calling you to a life of service. And this author is reminding us, do not neglect the son of God. And yet some of us look at, the son of God, and we think like, yeah, it's kind of a good guy. He's kind of serious. I don't really know what I think about that. It reminds me of how we view the weatherman. 
I mean, how often do we say like, yeah, they're calling for rain. I guess I'll take a raincoat, but I don't care. It's not gonna change my life. Does the message of the gospel and the calling of your life change your life, change the way you live, change the way you interact with people, change the way you spend your money, change the way you budget, change the way you vacation and change the way you treat people, including your family and people you don't like and everyone. Does the message of Jesus change your life? If it doesn't, I've got to think that maybe you don't believe him. Maybe you don't believe that he was who he said he was. Maybe you don't believe that he did what he said he did. Well, I want us to know this as we close today. We have to ask ourselves, is Jesus worth following? Is Jesus worth following? Because not only does this author say, don't neglect God's final word in Christ, he says, don't drift away. And some of us are drifting I mean, let's, let's just be honest. It's been a tough couple of months. We're tired of just sitting in our house and reading a book. We're tired of not gathering corporately as a church. We're tired of going to this Bible study or having one more thing to do. And so some of us are just drifting. We feel our faith changing. We feel our heart changing. We feel our time with God changing. We feel our attitude changing. And we're drifting and we're moving away. So ask yourself, have I neglected the gospel and its presence in my life? Am I drifting away from my faith? The author says this, don't drift. He says, anchor yourself to Jesus. And anchoring yourself to Jesus is not rocket science, but it takes discipline and it takes time and it takes effort and it takes thought. And so if you're in the process of drifting, you have to ask, is Jesus your everything right now? Is Jesus all you need? Because Jesus plus a new house is not Jesus. And Jesus, plus the car you've been waiting on, that's not just Jesus. And Jesus, if you can get out of school and finish it and get that degree and get that job, that's not just Jesus. Is Jesus your everything? Can you cling to him and can he be your everything? Would you be able to pray right now, Jesus, you are all that I need. Jesus, you are my everything. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll give you anything. I'll do everything. You are my God. You are my savior. You took away my excuses. You took away my fear. And I want to live my life in response as worship to you. Can you say that right now? Can you say that Jesus is your anchor? Here's our big idea. This is what this passage is saying, and this is what I think that we, we need to know as a church as we begin this book and this season of hopefully refocusing our minds and our hearts and refocusing and saying, what's my anchor? Here's our big idea. Jesus is the superior embodiment of the word of God, and we cannot neglect him. Jesus is the superior embodiment of the word of God, and we cannot neglect him. I think most of us would, would maybe agree in theory, yeah, he's the superior embodiment of the word of God. But if he is, we cannot neglect him. The word neglect is often used in cases of foster care, when we think of parents neglecting children and getting in trouble in the legal system. And I just wonder, the things that we would judge someone's parenting for, could they also be said about our relationship with Jesus? I mean, if someone came home and only spent one hour a week with their kids, you'd say, man, they're just, they're, they're, not, they're neglecting Jesus. They're not, they don't realize what they have. If someone talked to their kids three times a day for 15 seconds before every meal 
and they didn't embrace the richness of relationship and the intimacy and all the ways they could know each other and all the joy and all the laughter and all the memories and all the fun, we would say they were neglecting their kids. Is your relationship with Jesus 15 seconds before every meal? Is your relationship with Jesus just for one or two hours a week when you need to put on the Christian hat and look like a good person? Jesus is the superior embodiment of the word of God. And when I say word, I don't mean just a bound book or a Bible. That's part of it. But he is embodying God's gift and God's presence to us and offered to us in relationship. And we cannot neglect him. Have you anchored your life in Jesus? Have you tied your life to Jesus? Are you acting like it? Are you living like it? Are you all in? That's what this this author, that's what the writer of Hebrews was asking that church. And, and I get to pass that on today. Are you all in? If not, I think it's time to go back to the basics. What does it look like for you to remind yourself of the gospel? Or maybe for the first time to say, Jesus, I've never made a decision to trust you, to rely on you, to surrender my life to you. Maybe you want to share that with someone around you that you're watching this with today. Maybe you want to have that conversation with the people you're watching with. Maybe you're at your movement group, your house church, and you want to say, I I don't know that I've ever trusted Jesus. Talk about that in community today. Maybe you would say, man, my, my relationship is has, has drifted. It's, it's 15 minutes before a meal. It's reading the Bible once a month when I feel bad. I need to get back to a discipline of spending time with Jesus and anchoring my life and my heart in him. Are you all in? Is there something that you're holding for some reason? God, I, I went through this divorce and and this divorce has my attention. Lord, my finances aren't where they need to be. God, I need this new career. Lord, I'm sick of this pandemic and I'm holding this. And Jesus is saying, I don't want your eyes on those things. I don't want your devotion on those things. I don't want you to make an idol out of those things. I want your heart. I want your focus. I want your attention. We want to be a church that's giving Jesus our attention and our focus and is all in today because he's the superior embodiment of the word of God. We don't want to neglect relationship that's offered to us freely and right in front of us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 2. Thank you for the truth in here, Lord. You are the superior embodiment of the word of God. We we praise you. We are thankful for you. We are grateful for you. And Lord, we just want to say that we want to be anchored in you and found in you. We don't want to provide lip service We don't want to just be in a club that listens to you sometimes like a weatherman. We don't respect, Lord. We want to be anchored in you. We want to be all in. Draw ourselves to you today, Lord. Draw us to you in community. Help us to encourage each other this week and help us to be open and honest with the shares and the struggles that we have and the ways that we're drifting, the ways that we're neglecting our relationship, Lord. Pull us toward you. Pull us to yourself. Draw us to yourself. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for reaching out and offering us relationship. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.